Well, we are grateful that you are here today, and I want to invite you to take God's Word and open it to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Last week we started a new series called, Jesus Said What? If you've ever read any of the Gospels, and the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are men who wrote stories of what Jesus did and what Jesus said. And if you've ever read any of those stories, those Gospels, there certainly probably have been times when you've been left wondering, why did he say that? And what does that even mean? Today's text is a perfect example of that as you look in your Bibles, Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Here's what we read, beginning in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we're not surprised by the first part of verse 25. Large crowds were following Jesus. That doesn't surprise us. Large crowds, the Bible says, were not just coming to listen to him. They were actually traveling with him, according to that verse. It's right there in the text. Large crowds were actually traveling with Jesus. They, they were coming from all over. They were following him around. Some wanted to see the miracles. Some heard that he would feed the hungry. Still others came because they hoped he would overthrow Rome and reestablish David's promised kingdom. The very presence of Jesus attracted great crowds. There was the curious, uh, there was the needy, there were were the excited. uh, There were people following Jesus from all around because they wanted to see what might happen next. And in verse 25, as this crowd was following Jesus, they didn't realize where he ultimately was walking. Because if you were to fast forward the story, he was ultimately walking to Jerusalem. He was ultimately walking to the cross. And as he was heading in that direction, Jesus knowing and seeing the large crowd traveling with him, he stopped and he turned around toward the crowd walking behind him. He knew that they did not understand the implications of following him. So in bold and striking language, He told them what it means to be one of his followers. And this is where the verse gets to be confusing. This is where the verse gets to be shocking. Turning to them, middle of verse 25, turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not, what's that next word? Does not hate his father and mother his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is where we shake our heads and say, what does that mean? Why would he say that? I mean, verse 26 sounds strange to our ears, does it not? I don't know about you, but I love my family. I absolutely love my family. I love my wife. I love my daughters, my son and my son-in-law. And I was blessed to grow up in a home where I had great parents. They were my spiritual heroes. I love my parents dearly. I love my two older brothers. I even love my brother Dave. 
Did Jesus really want the crowd to hate their mom and dad? Did Jesus really want the crowd to hate their brothers and sisters, their husband and their wives? I mean, doesn't that sound strange compared to the rest of the Bible? I mean, in other places in the gospel, didn't Jesus command his hearers to love one another? And then doesn't, isn't one of the Ten Commandments, number five, I believe it is, it says, honor your father and your mother. Doesn't that imply love and respect? Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul was writing to men and he said, men, love your wives. That Jesus even said in another part of the Gospels, he said, you need to love your enemies. So, so how do we put all this together? It seems like the Bible is contradicting itself. You need to understand what he meant by this word hate. I'm not going to water down the word. But I am going to help you understand, I believe, the context of the word. The word hate literally carries the idea of choice or preference. There was a, it was a unique way that the Jewish people used those words love and hate. It really was expressed preference more than anything else. It was the idea, when, you, when you're talking about loving and hating something, in that contrast like that, it was the idea of choosing one thing over the other. One thing having more priority than the other. Now, to help you understand this Jewish context, I want you to go to Romans chapter 9, verse 13. Romans chapter 9, verse 13. The Apostle Paul is writing this and he's referring back to Old Testament Scripture, an Old Testament story. And the Apostle Paul says this in verse 13. Just as it is written, referring back to the Old Testament, God is speaking in this text and God says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. This verse is not talking about the fact that God somehow had emotional loathing towards Esau. If you know the context of that story, if you're to go back in the Old Testament and read the whole context of that story, it simply means that God gave His promise through Jacob, or to Jacob, not through Esau. And that He chose Jacob over Esau. He, there was this, this idea of preference, choosing one above the other. So when Jesus tells us to hate our mothers and hate our fathers and hate our brothers and sisters, He's not talking about feelings of animosity. He's talking about what has priority. Where you gladly choose one thing over another. You say, well, you know, preacher, if there's a verse that I'm living right now, it's this one. Because I hate my dad. Or I hate my brother. Or I, I hate so-and-so in my family. No, that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about ill ill will towards someone. We're not talking about malice towards someone. It means simply this, that your devotion to your family must take second place to your devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, I know that sounds almost strange to our ears and in the first service when I preached this message, it got very, very quiet. Because this is not one of those comforting verses. This is not one of those verses that make you say, boy, I feel good when I went to church today. But to help you to get the context of, of this whole thing, this idea of hating your family, choosing one over the other, I want you to understand this is not the only time Jesus spoke these words or words like these. 
So let me show you some other examples. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Jesus is speaking and he says, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me. That's the key right there, isn't it? Loving father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Look in Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. He lived this out. He didn't just preach it. He lived this out. And he illustrates it for us in this story we're going to read beginning in verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. He was simply saying there is sometimes when you choose the will of the Father in heaven over even earthly relationships. Look in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 verse 29. Jesus tells us in this text that ultimately it will be worth it. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. Jesus is speaking and He says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for My sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Jesus is saying in this text, listen, the compensation is beyond imagination for those who choose to follow Me. And sometimes you will have to make hard choices. Sometimes you'll have to make some hard decisions. But in the end, you'll be glad you did. So, what does all this mean for us? It simply means this. Being a fully devoted follower of Jesus may cost you in terms of your relationships. That's the one point I want you to get. That's the one thing I want you to understand. I'm not, I don't have a three-point sermon. I've got one point I want to drive home to you today. Being a fully devoted follower of Jesus may cost you in terms of your relationships. Jesus said, to be my disciple, your love for me must be greater than all other loves. Even family loyalties cannot stand between you and your relationship with Jesus. Now, for many of you, that's not a big issue. And I'm going to tell you why. It's not a big issue in your family because you love Jesus and everybody in your family loves Jesus. And you serve Jesus and everybody in your family serves Jesus. And everybody is is excited that, that we're serving Jesus together. And so it's not a big issue for you. You don't have those times where you have to make a hard decision. For many of you, like my family, it's the same way. But not not every family is that perfect, and not every family is that committed to Jesus. And sometimes the place where your faith will be tested the most is in your home. Perhaps you have a husband who's not a believer. He doesn't understand why you go to church all the time. 
And he fusses and cusses when you walk out the door on Sunday morning. And maybe he did it today as you came to church. Or maybe you have parents who have always been focused on making more and more money. And they even have the family business. They prepared for you. They, they're ready to turn it over to you in a few years. They don't understand why you're thinking about going into the ministry. And why you would want to go off into the ministry and turn your back on this profitable business. Your dad's mad at you. He hadn't talked to you in a while because he's worked all of these years for you. That's what he tells you. And Now you're going to turn your back on him. To go do ministry? Or or maybe you have a brother who keeps trying to pressure you to stop being so religious. And he won't even come to the Thanksgiving dinner because he knows you're going to be there. And he just won't be around you anymore because you're too religious. And so in that kind of a context, in those kind of family relationships, with those kind of family dynamics, what do you do? How do you handle it? Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple... You have to love me to the degree that it makes all other loyalties subordinate. Whenever whenever there's a conflict in your relationship and you have to choose between the Lord Jesus Christ or the family relationship, you have to decide who's first. As we look at the world today, we can see how practical this verse is. I don't know if you realize this, but man... This is a very practical verse for many people. Because we're living in a world today, other parts of the world, we can name the countries where when you turn to Christ, it's a choice between Jesus and being ostracized. Jesus, you're going to be isolated. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be kicked out of the family. You might even be killed if you choose Jesus. For many people in, in other parts of the world, this is a very practical verse. Even in our own country, the price for being a disciple of Jesus seems to be growing costlier by the day. Uh, Many of you know uh, Scott, who was on staff with us. I'm not going to give you his last name or where he's serving or any details of the story I'm about to tell you because this goes online for security reasons. Not for Scott, but for the man I'm going to talk about. Uh, I'm not going to give you a lot of the the details, but Scott, who lives in another part of of the country now, was witnessing to an international student. He told me this story recently. He was witnessing to an international student from Bangladesh. This young man was interested in Christ. He was interested. He had never heard the gospel before. He really didn't know who Jesus was. And as Scott presented the gospel, this young man became very interested. But he came from a Muslim family and a Muslim background. And as he talked to Scott, he said, you need to understand that if I were to receive this Jesus you're talking about, it would cost me dearly. And this young man wrestled with that. For You don't make those kind of decisions flippantly. You don't make those kind of decisions quickly. And he wrestled with that because he knew that to turn his life to Christ would be ter- turning away from his family. It would be seen as turning his back on his family. And he knew that his family would probably turn their back on him. One day after praying with Scott for a while and talking with Scott for a while, he came to Scott and he said, I'm ready to receive Jesus as my Savior. Scott led him to saving faith in Christ. And the young man was excited. He was excited about his new faith. He was excited that he had now found truth. He was excited that he had had a relationship now with Jesus Christ. His life was totally different. And as an excited new believer, he called his mom and dad to tell them the good news. He 
called them there in Bangladesh, his Muslim family. And he told them that he was now a believer in Jesus Christ. He was now a Christian. And that was the day they disowned him. That was the day they turned away from him. That was the day they stopped having any communication with him. He went back to Bangladesh about a month ago. He went back to try to mend fences with his family, hoping they would receive him, hoping they would talk to him. But his family would not meet with him. They would not talk with him. They treat him as if he is dead. Oh, by the way, his mom and dad are multimillionaires. And they have cut all finances off from him. So he goes from having anything that he wants to having nothing. See, this is a very relevant verse for him, isn't it? The call to follow Jesus is fundamentally a call to love Him above everything else and everyone else and even our own families when necessary. I met a pastor once who lives in Moscow, Idaho. I didn't even know there was a Moscow, Idaho. Who in the world names their town Moscow? I don't get that. But, but he was, his name is Jess Little. Jess uh, is a pastor in Moscow, Idaho. And Jess said he had a young lady in his church who felt strongly that God was calling her uh, to overseas missions. She was engaged, had a fiancé, when she finally decided that God was calling her to overseas missions. And so she hesitantly broke the news to her fiancé what she felt like God was wanting her to do. And sure enough, he didn't receive it well. He didn't feel this call to overseas missions. He had no intention of going anywhere overseas on a mission trip or as a ministry of full-time service. And she was wrestling with the decision, do I marry the love of my life or do I follow God's call to overseas missions? She wrestled with that decision and she finally made the hardest decision of her life. She broke up with her fiancé so that she could go be a missionary overseas. But it was more than that, wasn't it? She broke up with her fiancé so that she could say yes to Jesus. Because you see, anytime you put anything ahead of Him, He's no longer your Lord. Anytime you put anyone Ahead of Him, He's no longer Lord. Jesus is not comfortable being number two or number three in your life. Jesus is not satisfied being a part, for you being a part-time follower. He wants your absolute love and your absolute uh, allegiance. And so this young lady had to decide to choose Jesus Christ. So that he would be first in her life. Because if she had chosen anything else, if she had chosen anything less, Jesus would not have been first in her life. What about you? What about your life? Do you want to live a life that counts or do you want to live a life that's comfortable? Following Jesus is a deliberate and an ongoing decision, isn't it? It's a deliberate decision. You don't make these kind of decisions 
casually. It's a deliberate decision that Jesus is, is going to have first place in my life above anyone else or anything else. It's a deliberate decision, but it's also an ongoing decision. Because there'll be times over and over and over again where that decision is tested. There'll be times over and over and over again where Jesus will call you by name and say, am I still first place in your life? Are you willing to turn loose of that? Or turn loose of her? Or turn loose of him? For me. You see, we are so accustomed to comfortable Christianity. We rarely know what it means to say Jesus is first above everything and everyone. But the real question is, is there any price that's too high to pay? Do you ever get into a situation where it's like, okay, this, this one's got to be the exception. This one's got to be, you know, this has got to be, this is too much. Thankfully, the Lord Jesus talked about that very thing in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 44. Here's what Jesus said. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like... It's like what, church? Treasure. Kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. I just want you to notice that phrase, in his joy, he went and sold everything that he had. He did not reluctantly sell it. He, nobody had to drag him to sell it. In his joy, he found something worth giving everything for. And then he goes on and says again, verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Why? Because it was of great value. He found something that was of great value, of such value, he was willing to give away everything that he had because it had such great value. I think Jim Elliott said it best when he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. How about you? It's a very basic question. Is Jesus pointing to anything in your life and saying, Why have you let that be first in your life? Why have you put that in front of me? Why do you think you'll ever find peace and happiness if there's somebody else or something else in front of me? I want you to bow your heads with me for a moment. I want to share with you very carefully the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to listen very, very carefully. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that God loves you so much that 
he would give the very best thing that he had. He would surrender the very best thing that he had. His son. For you. That he would love you so much that there was nothing he would hold back. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ went to the cross, and He died for your sin. He died in your place. He experienced everything you and I should have experienced, but He did it for you, and He did it for me, for your sin and for mine. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior today, would be a wonderful time for you to say, if he did that for me, then I'll spend the rest of my life living for him. Would you receive Christ today? Would you put him first? He's just absolutely surrendering everything that you are to, to him and putting him first in every part of your relationship, saying something like this, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I, I believe that you died in my place and for my sin and And I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sin and cleanse me and make me a new person. And because you died for me, I will live for you. And Lord Jesus, from this day forward, I'm putting you first in my life above every relationship and everything this world has to offer. I make you my Savior and my Lord. That's the decision I'm asking you to make today. That's the decision that will change your life. Father, may you be honored. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name.